0: I am going to take a little detour from our um series that we've been doing looking and preparing for our statement of faith. Um I had this great sermon planned for this morning, even had the scriptures all plugged into the the uh, uh computer. Um and then I went to scripture yesterday and and um the Holy Spirit said, No, nope, that's not the sermon you're going to give. <laughs> so um, it's funny how, how um, the Holy Spirit is not so concerned with how much sleep a preacher gets. Um, but um, yeah, so I've changed things up a bit. But we're going to look at Daniel verse 12. Uh, sorry, Daniel chapter 12, verse 10 to 13. So if you're following along, that's Daniel 12, verses 10 to 13. It won't be on the screen because, again, I changed the soul yesterday. It says, Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in the allotted place at the end of days. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Because even, even in this text, you show your love for us. The warnings that you give us the account of what will happen. But this story is, is a story of your love from creation and salvation and eternity. All of it you have given us. And Father, we thank you for that. Let the words that I speak be tested by your word and moved by your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this isn't, isn't probably going to be an easy sermon for, for me to give. Um, because this, this is a difficult subject. And, and it's a subject that I've been asked about a lot. I'm not going to cover this, this full text because this is, well, I've, I've done this series on, on Daniel. It's, it's a whole half a year's series to cover what, what Daniel's talking about. But, but he's talking about here the, the end times and, and what is to be expected, what, what God knows is going to happen. But the center of this is this notion that, 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 that the problem here with all of this is this thing called the abomination that makes desolation. And it's the sin that that, that that brings desolation. And a lot of people will ask me, you know, what is the greatest sin? What is this abomination? If you, if you know Daniel Revelation, you know... Who the abomination is. We'll get at that, to that in a bit. But it's less about who and more about the nature of that person, of the Antichrist. What is the, the, the one defining sin that causes the abomination to be an abomination? Some claim it's secular humanism. Other Others say it's Islam. Some say homosexuality. There's an answer to this question. What is the sin in Scripture that causes the most damage? And you'll always notice that the answer to that question, if you ask most people, is somebody else's sin. Right? If you ask that question, what is the sin that is the worst sin? Most people will say, it's the sin that that other guy deals with. It's never a sin that we wrestle with on our own. And because of this attitude, we've missed one of the biggest warnings in scripture. The greatest sin. And, 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 and if you search the scriptures, you'll see this to be true. Is pride. That is the abomination that causes desolation. And, and, and hear me out. I'll explain why. How did we get into this mess in the first place? Pride. The snake went to Eve and said, Hey, you know what? You can be like God. Pride. And because of that, that was the thing that that made her say, Well, hey, maybe this fruit isn't so bad after all. I don't maybe actually need to listen to God because if I eat this fruit, I'm going to get to be like God. Pride. Pride. It wasn't humanism or homosexuality or, or atheism even. According to Proverbs, it's, it's pride that comes before the fall. And it's pride that leads us to ignore the fact and pretend like it's somebody else's sin and not our own. How do I know this? Well, It was spoken about in, in Proverbs 16.5. It says this, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord be assured he will not go unpunished so even in scripture when it describes the abomination it's saying it is arrogance pride Daniel 7 verse 11 he's talking about the the antichrist and 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 the antichrist has these these horns and and it says I kept watching because the arrogant words that the horn was speaking This is the the very nature of the Antichrist. Pride, boastfulness, arrogance. It's one of the greatest warnings in Scripture, and yet it's probably one of the least heated warnings. So I want to look at a couple areas where pride affects our lives and our walk with Christ. Firstly, I want to look at pride in our relationships. Philippians two three, this is one of the the hardest texts. It says, "Consider others as more important than yourselves." This is a really difficult text, especially in today's society. I mean, we're the selfie culture. We we take pictures of ourselves and think everybody wants to see them. Right? That 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 that's the, the epitome of pride. And and as we, um, if you've heard. Um, News reports, or, or or watch what's going on in the world right now. The issues with with abortion, and 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 the the pride that comes from that. My body, my choice. It's about what I want to do, not about how this affects somebody else, not about the rest of the world. It's about me and what I want and and my rights. This shouldn't be a surprise to us. What did Jesus teach? If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. Matthew 16, 24. The the, the teachings of the cross is the opposite of pride. What we just sang, that's the gospel message. Yet not I, but Christ Christ. This is one of the things that that shuts down our pride when we understand the gospel we understand that we're not saved because of what we have done we're not saved because of the merit that we have earned we're not a believer we're not a Christian because of how good we are and and how we we the image we have all of those things are not because of us but because of Christ Ephesians 28 we are saved by grace through faith not by works so that no man may boast the gospel is the antidote to pride when we read 1 Corinthians 12 all of us then who know this gospel who believe this this truth we're we're put into the body of Christ and and why so that we can build each other up so that we can build others up. We don't come to church so so we can just soak in everything for ourselves. But so that we can build others up with the gifts that have been given to us. Again, this is exactly exactly what, what Jesus is talking about. Deny yourself and take up your cross. But see, again, we live in this selfie society. It's all about how I feel, what I think, what I want, how I look. The image I want to give. The image I want to have. Even worship. This is huge. Our our main uh, conversation today about worship. What do I get out of it? Right? Uh, But the Bible says you gathering with other believers is not just about what you get out of it, but also what you are giving. Right? You're using your gifts to build one another up. You're not a consumer, but a participant. And because of this pride, we miss out on so much of the Christian life. Because we're focusing so inwardly. We're not thinking about the service that he's called us to do. I'll direct you to a couple stories in scripture. This is the second area I want to look at. How this affects our walk with Jesus. Y'all heard of um, a guy in the Bible named Naaman. So we read this story in 2 Kings 5. Naaman, he's um, the general of the army of the king of Syria. But he's really well known. He's, he's a Gentile. Um, he's, he's really well known. A respected man around the world. Even Israel. Even the Jews know about this guy. But he has a huge problem. He hasn't been able to, to go out with his army. He hasn't been able to lead because he has leprosy. And at the time, if you had leprosy, you are a pariah. No one will come near you. You are not allowed to go into town or to go anywhere near anyone. And for this guy, I mean, his, his name, Naaman, means to be beautiful. So that's, 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 that's pretty horrific for a guy like that to have leprosy. It was his identity. It was his image. It was all about being famous, being well known, and 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 looking the part. And now, all of a sudden, he's got sores and and boils all over him, and it, all that was taken away from him. His image, his 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 path, his his religion, even it was all taken away from him. So that made things difficult for Naaman, obviously. But God had a plan this all happened at the suggestion of one of his slave girls who suggested hey you know what there's a prophet in israel who can who can who can deal with this so she 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 calls him to go to elijah's house he do, he doesn't he goes to the king of israel first because you know he's a good great guy he's famous he's not going to settle with some lowly prophet and the king actually tears his clothes. He says, look, I don't know anything about what you're asking. I don't know how to cure your leprosy. I don't know why you're coming to me. And Elisha finds, Elisha finds out about this. And so finally he, he goes to Elisha's house. And, and Naaman, this great, powerful man, shows up at Elisha's door and, and Elisha doesn't come out. He sends a servant. And Naaman is indignant. He's like, well, what, I'm, famous why wouldn't you want to come out and meet me why wouldn't you want to come out and talk to me i'm i'm powerful and so he's he's mad as ever with elisha and then the then he gets this message to say go and and dip yourself seven times in the river and you know if if this god was truly powerful why wouldn't he just cure him on the spot like why would he need him to go and and dip seven times in a, a filthy river in israel that's what he was thinking and he thought, look, we got plenty of rivers in Syria. So his, this is his response. Naaman went away. He went away angry and said, I, I, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, cure my leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farfar, far the rivers in Damascus, better than all the waters in Israel? Couldn't I just wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and he left in a rage. Cause he knew better, right? <laughs> I mean, obviously things had worked out for him so far. That's sarcasm. No greater example of pride. Like, I don't need this. I, I don't need somebody else to tell me h- how to do this. How dare they not give me the respect I deserve? How, how dare they not visit me? Come out to me? How dare they not make the most, imp- make me the most important in this situation? Right? Naaman's pride. But for Naaman, thankfully it doesn't end there. His servant, went to him and pleaded with him and said, Look, if this prophet told you to go and dip seven times in the Jordan, well, you better do it. And the spirit softened his heart. With nothing else to lose, Naaman did what Elijah had told him to do in the end, reluctantly, nevertheless. But he was cured. And, and, and then he went to Elisha. And this time, Elisha did come out to him. And he tried to pay Elisha. He was so happy about his cure. He tried to pay Elisha. Elisha wouldn't accept. You see the difference there between Elisha and Naaman. Naaman was not only restored physically, but he went away believing that the God of Israel was the only God. But his pride had caused him initially to walk away. Another example. This one didn't end quite so well. And maybe this one hits a little bit closer to home. Maybe we can understand this a little bit better because I don't think there are any of us that are famous generals here. Um, but a good, devout man. It's Matthew 19. He'd known God his whole life. He'd gone to temple just as he was supposed to, done all the sacrifices, done all the, the, the rules and the traditions. He, he's a, a pretty wealthy man, respected, and he believed himself to be moral and upright. And he goes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And this is where Jesus first challenges, his, challenges him on his pride. He says, well, good. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God the Father. This is a great response. Whenever you ask somebody, you know, how, how is it that God's going to let you into heaven? And they say, well, I'm a good person. Go here. Jesus says, no, nobody is good except God the Father. And, and this is where we start to see his pride of this young man. And Jesus says, no one's good except God the Father. The, then the man proceeds to tell Jesus, I'm good too, right? That's exactly what he says. Jesus said, nobody is good except God the Father. And he says, yeah, and me, me, me as well. And, and he said, look, I've kept all the commands since I was a child, pride also leads to lying. Um but Jesus says, oh, "Okay, well let's test that. If you want eternal life, you have to sell all of your possessions, rid yourself of your old life because that's really what it was about. It wasn't about having money. It wasn't about having wealth. It was the fact that this man, his whole rep, his whole image, his whole life had been wrapped up. I mean, that's his identity, the rich young man. All of that had been wrapped up in 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 his money, his, his image, his titles, his prestige, his fashion, his, his status. He says, Jesus says, get rid of all that and follow me. And with a man realizing now the implications of his question and his unwillingness to let go of that, walked away from Jesus. He walked away from eternal life. He didn't want salvation because he was so prideful that he loved his image so much that he wasn't going to be born again. He didn't want to be a new person. He wanted to be himself <clears throat> and to deserve what he got because of himself. He didn't want to be changed. And this is the pride that we see today that is holding on. Uh, many profess to be Christians that hold, holds us back from true faith in Jesus. It is pride that holds us where we are. And his message, this this message of the gospel, so that we will be transformed into his image. And the message, that message, about how, if we're a believer, we will be changed, is probably one of the most unpopular messages I've ever preached. And And if you disagree with that message... Go to the Word and see. God never leaves a disciple to sit in one place. The place that they have created. Their own image. Their, their own lifestyle. He never does that. Instead, he says, deny yourself and follow me. Deny your status. Deny your self-made plans. In James, he, he uh, we read in Scripture that it, that it says, you know, don't say to God, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that tomorrow but say if it is his will he's going to change you and i believe that today the reason so many christians are feeling blah that's the best word i could come up with for there for that and i've heard this especially since covid so many christians feeling just flat in their walk and i believe the reason is because we become stagnant stagnant water not living water you know the difference Stagnant water, it's, it's like a puddle. It sits there. Algae forms in it. It's tepid. It's neither hot nor cold. Mosquitoes breathe there. Uh, uh, go to go to our house. We've got a empty uh, swimming pool in the backyard. That's tepid water. That's stagnant water. It's not good. But it's still water. But living water, it moves. It doesn't stay where it is. And things live in it and are sustained by it. In fact, the, the stagnant water, in fact, causes death quite often. No, really, like, like diseases that, that come from stagnant and stale water cause death all around the world. Living water, however, causes life. And the difference is stagnant water doesn't move, and living water is always moving. Too many Christians are, 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 have, have, have accepted this stagnation, And the difference between stagnant and living is movement. So many self-proclaimed Christians say, you know what, I'm going to stay where I am. If God tries to move me, I ain't going. Don't challenge me. Don't change my opinions. Don't convict me. Don't talk about anything that's difficult. Don't talk about the issues that we face in daily life. Just make me feel comfortable where I am. And, ah, you know, I don't need to say it, actually. Because I would imagine if you are a believer, you know that tug, you know that calling. You know that in your heart. Even if you're one who's saying, I'm not going to move, you know that he's calling you to move. You feel the uncomfortableness. Is that a word, uncomfortableness? You feel uncomfortable where you are. Things don't seem quite right. And you feel that conviction. You feel that he's calling you to do something different. Different from what you've planned. You know, like Naaman, everything that he had done didn't work. But God called him to do something different. And it was different than his plans. You know that. You feel that push. Unfortunately, it's often pride that causes us to stay still and for so many the response is is when we hear that uncomfortableness we 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 hear that conviction of god's word too many people don't respond by denying themselves and 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 listening but rather they go find teachers who will satisfy their comfort their own itching ears and find words that will satisfy them and i can't stress this enough if, if you're truly in his grace, he will never leave you the same. That is what the rich young man, that, that story is telling us. Because of his pride, he, he didn't understand this. And that leads to my final point, which is, how does this pride affect our growth and conviction? You know, so many will say, you know, it's, it's just not my image. Or, or if, if you talk about sharing the gospel with someone, you talk about praying out loud. You talk about about preaching. Even people say, "You know, that, that's just not me. That's just not who I am. That's not where my friends are. It's not my culture. It doesn't fit into my life plans. I'm just not that kind of person. <laughs> I'm just not a theologian, right? I'm I'm just not an academic. I could go on. Have you read the Bible?" <laughs> Do you know of any example in scripture where God ever took that kind of response seriously? No, not, not one. Moses. I'm just not capable, God. Right? Did God listen to Moses? No. Abraham. I'm too old. Yeah, Sarah even laughed at God. But they still were transformed and changed. Jeremiah. I'm too young. Saul. It's, it's, it's just not me to be king. Saul even hid behind the luggage when he was was, um, coronated. Elijah, I'm too tired. Paul, and this is a good one, I'm too busy hating and killing Christians. Do you think God ever listened to them? No, he said, look, I've got a plan for you, and that's the plan. He he doesn't listen to the argument, I'm this or I'm that. But he says, I'm going to change you into what I need you to be instead he changes us he transforms us he grows us not into our own image but into his one of the ones that i struggle with and and this is where i i might get a bit challenging and i hope that you would take this on board i hear people say i'm 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 just not a theologian i'm i'm just you know i just i'm just not academic i don't really study the bible I don't really have the capacity to learn more, however it's phrased. I want to use this as an example. You know, we hold on to that image, and oftentimes that holds us back. See, the world doesn't say that, right? The world doesn't, doesn't say, I, I don't know, I, I, and I, I'm just going to be happy with, with that and stay here. Every time a young person heads off to work or uni, Satan does not say that. They go off and, and hear people claim with authority to be academics, to be theologians, and yet what they teach is a lie. Would you do whatever you could to reach those who are influenced like that? Remember the parable of the sheep, right? One sheep walks away, and the shepherd leaves the 99 to find that one. You know, that parable is talking about the nature of God. His his children leave, and and he doesn't say, oh, you know what? That's sheep, He should have stayed. uh, There's nothing I can do now. Oh, well. Right? He doesn't say that. And and I I deleted and retyped that several times. I wrestled with it and, and prayed about this for a long time, and it's convicting. It's convicting to me, too. But it's in the Bible. Right. Um you know we can't just say, you know what, I'm I'm not there, so I'm just gonna give up. I'm just gonna stay where I'm at. I'm so glad that God never did that with me. Right? The amount of times I rejected my heavenly father and he said not once. He never said this. Oh well I tried. He's 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 I'm gonna give up with him. No, he pursued me. Even while I was still a sinner, and He gave Himself up for me, and remember what He told us. He said, "Love one another as I have loved you." Is that how we love each other? That when that that we would give up and say, "You know, I'm just not going to. I'm just not good at sharing. I'm just not an academic. I'm not." No, that we would be willing. To leave that place. To leave the 99. To give up our image, our station, our career. So that we can follow him. So, back to that, I'm I'm just not a theologian thing. Uh, I just don't pray out loud. It's just not my thing. I'm not academic. I can't read the Bible. I'm just not good with sharing my faith. It's just not me. You know, I think I can speak for others. My, My children... We're dedicated in this church, as were several other kids and parents. And there was a promise made before God by those in attendance, by those here, that you would help them grow up into Christ. You know, we need you to know how to share your faith. Like, especially in this day, more than ever. We need you to know how to share your faith. As do your own children and grandchildren. For the sake of our children, you need to be the influence. You need to be more academic than that professor who claims to know that God is dead. You need to have more of an influence over their life than that person. We need you to know how to pray with them how to show them to pray men men especially we need our kids to see godly men who know how to live out their faith we can't do it on our own that's why we're part of a church right not pridefully doing everything for ourselves and here's the kicker our kids they're going to grow up and 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 the influence of the world is is going to be on them but we need you to be the influence and and if you're to the point where you say I just don't know how to do that, don't stop there. Learn, grow, be willing to to change your your image or or to be changed, to grow up in Him. And I can tell you when when Jeremiah says I'm I'm too young, God didn't say Oh, sorry, Jeremiah, you're right. I'll 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 find somebody else. No, when God needed to get His word across, a, 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 He saw Amos. Right? He didn't say Oh. Sorry, Amos, I forgot. You're just a shepherd. You're not a theologian. I'll go choose somebody else. No. When God called Abraham, Sarah laughed. He didn't say, oh, oh you're right. That's pretty funny. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to make you the father of many nations. I'll find somebody else. No. It's not how he works. But here's the hope in this. This this can be convicting. And and, and uh, as I said, I, I prayed about this sermon. Didn't want to give this sermon. <laughs> But here's the hope. He doesn't leave us alone to do that. Remember Matthew 28. There's this big call, a thing that, that we are, are scared to death to do. Go and make disciples of all nations. He doesn't leave it at that. He says, you can do that because I am with you always till the end of the age. This is the thing we often forget. And again, our, our pride gets in the way here. We're not doing this on our own. It, 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 all of those things. He's—he's he's not changing you by making you go to to uh, seminary. He's not changing you to, but but he's giving you the Holy Spirit. Which in the in the in, in the Gospel of John, he says, "Look, I'm going to give you guys the Holy Spirit." They were all worried Jesus is leaving them. How are they supposed to know what he's teaching? How are they supposed to remember all this stuff? And he said, "Look, you don't have to worry about this. Just be willing to follow, and I'll give you my Holy Spirit." And he will teach you what you need to know. Oftentimes, we, we again, uh, we take the Holy Spirit out of it. We think this is an, all uh, a natural thing. But it's a supernatural thing that he's given us a supernatural transformation into his image, not our own. And it's by his grace. I mean, look at Paul right he's 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 off murdering christians and god says you know what i'm going to choose you by my grace not because of anything you've done and 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 he, and he built paul up and he forgave him and he gave him eternal life that's the hope in this that we're not walking this alone that we're not doing all of this transformation alone you know, I, I, I know what it's like to make a, a huge life transformation. I, I know what it's like to, to leave everything that I've known for something different. And I can tell you, not having people walking with me would have made that impossible. Not having my wife to walk with me in that it would have been impossible. That's us. We're so scared of that change, that transformation, but we're not doing it alone. So the call is when we pray, when we talk to God, don't say to God, hey, God, do this for me, do that for me, make me comfortable in my own plans, but God, where are you leading me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father. give us your conviction. A conviction that makes us uncomfortable to sit in one place and to be stagnant and move us. Give us your Holy Spirit that that, that would soften our hearts that we would listen. Father, lead us to your word that we can see the testimony of so many who have been transformed And in that transformation, they've seen your glory, your eternal goodness. It's there. And we don't walk this alone. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that he guides us and leads us, convicts us. We thank you for your word that is a light unto our path. That we're not walking in a dark place through you, but that you're leading us And you're guiding us by your grace and your goodness and your power and your authority and your sovereignty. Remove that pride within us that wants to do it on our own. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.